Hello, and welcome to this edition of Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher. Our first podcast was earlier this year, and since we started, we've had a number of inspiring and engaging guests, and lots of free-flowing conversation. I'm Dustin Planelt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie or an HBO miniseries. When you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another fantastic show today with our special guest, Maury Shoeki. You may know Maury from Shark Tank. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Before we begin, I want to welcome a returning sponsor, the POI Institute. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in gorgeous Cabo San Lucas on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. POI offers safe, medically focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-POI-CABO. Or check out their website, poiibogaine.com. That's P-O-I-I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E.com. Be sure to tell them that Life's Tough sent you. Maury Shoeki, who was raised Jewish, married his wife, Marina, who was raised Christian. When it was time for them to start their family, Maury and Marina needed ways to celebrate both major winter holidays, Christmas and Hanukkah. That's when they launched their company, One Life Products, which includes their patented Hanukkah tree topper. It's a Star of David decoration that is designed to sit atop a Christmas tree. They pitched their business on Shark Tank in 2013. They went in seeking a $50,000 investment in exchange for 15% equity. On the show, they agreed to a deal with Damon John, $50,000 for 35%. Although the Shoeikis gave away 20% more than they anticipated, John has licensed out the Hanukkah tree topper, and they are reaping the rewards. One Life Products Hanukkah tree topper is available in most big box stores, including Bed Bath & Beyond, Home Depot, and Walmart, among others. In April 2016, Maury started working directly for John as head of sales and retail for Damon John at the Shark Group. Welcome to the show, Maury. Welcome to having you on. Thank you very much for having me, Dustin. I appreciate the introduction. Yeah, so first question. Uh, filming the episode of Shark Tank, you and I have known each other for uh, a little while now. Is this like 11 minutes? I mean, how long do they actually have the camera on, on you for? Oh, no, it's, it's much longer. So you only see about eight minutes of each pitch. Uh, essentially, you know, the, the, the episode will take, you know, anywhere from, or the, the eight minutes, essentially, the edit of the, eight, of the eight minutes will take anywhere from the shortest pitch that we've ever witnessed is about 20-some-odd minutes, the longest it is usually, it could have been, I bet, about two hours or so. My pitch, if I remember correctly, took about an hour and ten minutes. Wow. And there's no, there's no stops, there's no takes, there's no notes. You're just going, going, going. And then, you know, the beauty is the editors, and I, I'm still marveled, 
you know, to this day after what we're, we're going into season 11 of the show, how they're able to take that hour and a half with so many different cameras and so much back and forth and ultimately chop it into that perfect little eight-minute segment that really maintains the authenticity of the beginning, middle, and end that you had. Yeah, they make magic, by amazing. the way. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. When you watch it, you realize, wow, they actually have gotten into their stories. They know a little bit more about them. But how do you prepare? I mean, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, at least from my perspective. How did you prepare to go on this thing? How did you start it? Yeah, so, um, you know, you can audition two ways. First is you, uh, you can audition either through their website, through the ABC website, and you can, you know, prepare a little video, a little, you know, some pictures and fill in some stuff. Or you can do an open audition where you go to an open call. They have about 10 of them a year or so in different cities. I first tried out in season four, which was uh, the season that aired in 2012. And what happens is they start out with somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40 to 60,000 people each season. Wow. And from that 40 to 60,000, they bring that down to about my, what I've heard is about two or 3,000. And that two or 3,000 gets to submit a longer video, call it like a five minute video of, of yourself pitching the product. From there, you go into different stages. In season four, I actually auditioned via the website, and I actually got to do the video round. Wow. But after about a couple of months, they called me up and they said, thank you so much. We loved it, but not this year. Hmm. And, of course, I was heartbroken. Yeah. You didn't give the up, though, did you? Year, yeah, no, absolutely not. The following year... They uh, had live auditions near where I lived, and I remember telling my wife, I'm going to go for it. And she said, are you kidding me? You were so heartbroken the last time. Why would you put yourself through this agony all over again? And I yeah, said, you know what, if I don't do it, if I don't do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really be pissed at myself. So I went in person, I knocked it out of the park, and the rest is history. And the, you know, I remember the open audition was around May of 2013. And between May and the time I filmed, which was September, you're preparing like I've never prepared for anything in my life before. And I've been, you know, the, the tree topper was a side hustle for me. It was a passion project, but I had been sort of in the world of retail and consumer goods and, you know, big brands and big board meetings and pitches for a number of years before that. But I had never prepared for something like this. You know, you, you get on the phone with a producer. You know, you're, you're on that call every single week, you know, after the video, then you get this, produ this production team, you come up with your pitch, and every single week you're perfecting it. But ultimately, when you get into that room, and you walk down that hallway, and the sweat is dripping from your underarms into your shoes because, you know, they make you stand there for two minutes looking at the sharks like a, like, you know, a moron while they're getting the, the lights and the, and the sound right. <laughs> and then they say go. And Dustin, you got, you got no retakes. You got no cue cards, you got no notes, you got no calculators, you got no nothing. It's all got to be in your head. So the preparation that went into that was like nothing else I had ever prepared for. And it was the greatest lesson as a business person that I ever learned, which is be ready for your pitch and be ready so that everything's in your head. So that no matter what goes wrong, if your computer goes on the fritz, if you don't have Wi-Fi, if you can't find your notes before the meeting, if something happens where you get bumped it's all got to be in your head and you got to be prepared so that was that was the greatest lesson i learned from shark tank that that was quite a lesson so take me back in your life before you went on shark tank your entrepreneurial side of you when did this develop were you the the kid uh i don't know raking leaves mowing lawns 
uh, removing snow. Where, where did you hustle? Well, luckily, I was. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, so there was no snow to speak oh, of. Oh man, I grew up in. Uh, it was know, brutally cold. Yeah, it was brutally brutal here. But um, you know, I was. Uh, I was the youngest of five kids. My father was an immigrant and extremely successful. So I grew up, you know, in a in a really interesting way. You know, uh, with with a lot of wealth in Beverly Hills, very extravagantly. Um, when I was about 17 years old, however, my life changed, and I'll talk about that in a second. But from the time I was about, you know, my father lived in many different parts of the world. All my siblings are born in, in different parts of the world, and I was born actually in Mexico City. Hmm. But he was an amazing entrepreneur, and he always had that hustle and that drive with, you know, even very little formal education. And I remember my first job selling was when he put me to work in his in his furniture showrooms, and I was selling rattan furniture at the age of 11. Wow. And I remember the first time I ran that credit card. And, you know, back then it was like you would call on a touchstone phone number and have to enter in some funky code and hear some weird sounds on the other end and get an authorization code and do the, the carbon copy and, you know, all that stuff. And I remember that thrill of, of making the sale. And so... You know, I was always a relationship guy. I was always, you know, into sales, and that's when it started, was right around the age of 12. But like I said, 17 changed my life. You know, 17 is when I'm the youngest of five kids, and, you know, everybody's got this incredible life, and we're spending summers in Monte Carlo and on, on the lake in Lake Tahoe and, you know, this beautiful life, Beverly Hills High School and all this stuff, and I go off to college. And about two weeks or three weeks after I get to college, I get the phone call. My father's on the other end, and he says, son, we've lost everything. Come home. Hmm. And in that moment, life changed. Life, life didn't change. Life did, a, did an upside-down omelet backflip. Life got tough. And Oh, yeah. Life got really tough. And, um, you know, in retrospect, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. But at the time, I was pissed. Why me? Why me? Why the youngest of five kids when everybody else had their... Their houses kind of set up, their marriages set up, you know, their businesses set up, their cars, their, their, their joys. Why me? Why when I go off to college and I'm just starting to enjoy my young adulthood, why me? That's traumatic. And, yeah. So, you know, that was the beginning of kind of what sort of propelled me into where I am now was I told him I'm not coming home. He said, what do you mean? I can't afford college. I said, I don't care. I'll figure it out. And so uh, it was, you know, back in 1990 when I was, uh, you know, away at school, away from home for the first time, where my schedule for the next three and a half years was get up every morning at 3.30, arrive at the, the little uh, Jewish deli, you know, cutting meat with all of the immigrants that were working there from four to, you know, nine in the morning and serving God knows what, and then, you know, getting ready and going to class and doing my homework and, you know, I was a theater major, so I was going to rehearsal and long story short, you know, I, for those three and a half years, I was, uh, sending money and doing what I can to make, you know, make ends meet. And I got through with a bachelor's at UC San Diego in three and a half years and, uh, wow. was able to finish on my own and go home. Wow. I mean, what a story. What to, for that to, to happen now, now, tell me when now your dad, what was going on in his life? I and mean, this must've been very traumatic for him as well. I mean, to, Oh yeah have to take this. And here you are, a young man. You're trying to figure out who you are in this world. And as you know, being a dad is tough. It's the hardest job I've ever had. Um, yep. And knowing you've made mistakes or you've made decisions that maybe weren't benefiting to the family, 
tell me about this impact between your bond with him and you were struggling. Like this would have been very natural yeah. for both of you. You had never done it before. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad was a very unique individual. You know, I've always been asked who my hero is and my first answer is him. You know, this is a guy who, you know, was an immigrant, grew up in the Middle East as a, as a, as a Jewish man in an Arab country from Syria. And he was born in 1924. And, you know, this is a guy who was thrown out of his home when Israel became declared state and, you know, had to smuggle his family across borders and, you know, lived in five different countries and, you know, was successful beyond belief when, you know, in, in multiple industries, manufacturing and banking and real estate and accounting and all these crazy things that he didn't really even have a formal education. And, you know, we, like I said, I mean, we grew up, I'm talking like, you know, 20,000 square foot house next door to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Crazy. And, you know, but he always, he always had an air of generosity. You know, this is a guy who, who never, and in fact, that was probably a little bit of his downfall was that he wasn't, a, he was really good at making money, but he didn't really have financial intelligence when it came to saving it and investing it. He didn't diversify as well as he could. You know, back then, a mortgage was a bad word. Debt was a bad word of any kind. So it was like, take the cash, put it there. Take the cash, put it there. Well, but what happens when you lose the cash? You got nothing to lean on. That's correct. So, you know, essentially he had gone through, uh, you know, there was a, a real estate crash, a business deal that went awry, a, a foreign currency devaluation. And, you know, at the, at, at, at when he should have been at his, like, you know, at the end point, you know, when he was 65 years old is when this all happened. So, you know, you work all your life from the time that he was probably 12 you get to a point where you're, you're ready to kind of enjoy yourself. And that's, so his last, you know, and he passed away at 82 years old, about 11 or no, uh, about 12 years ago. And, you know, I'll be honest with you from the time he was 65, when he lost his money to the time he was about 82, he was never happy. And that was sad for me. You know, seeing somebody who provided for so many people kind of get to the end and just couldn't enjoy it. So yeah, it was tough. At first I was pissed. At first, I was resentful, but then being able to turn around and actually support him and take care of him, you know, and, and, and get, my, get my feet wet on, you know, what it takes to be a man and responsible and not being taken care of, you know, these were gifts that I could have never expected or ever repay. It, it sounds to so, me that you and he had a very strong bond. Very uh, strong. And... So looking at your relationship with your dad, you know, as the old, you get the, you get the best of him, you get the worst of him as he got the best of you and worst of you. What has that taught you now in life about how, how you should hold yourself? Good and bad. Well, 100%, you know, I've got three kids, three teenagers, you know, um, I always say that it's not what you, what the mistakes are that you make in life, but it's how you stand up and, and, and take advantage of them and, and learn from them and be better. You know, so uh, it, it, you know, number one, from a financial perspective, I look at my wife's father, who was this, um, you know, he was, uh, I think he, he's, he's from Australia, but he ran, I believe it was like superannuation for Deloitte for many years and other companies. And he was an incredible investor. He retired at 60 with, you know, money in the bank. And, you know, he's now 80 and he's been living life and enjoying himself. And I see like two completely different spectrums, like, you know, nice and conservative, but really happy in the golden years and then somebody who like lived it up and then, you know, unfortunately suffered in the golden years. And so, you know, from a standpoint of just the financial aspect of it, I'm much more conservative than I think my father was. Um, I think, you know, I really believe that the, the, the way to attain wealth is, is to, is to be cheap. You know,
know, from a standpoint of, you know, how my, you know, my relationship is with my kids and even my wife and people around me, I mean, you know what? There's no, there's no rule to how life is supposed to be. Shit happens. And I am so grateful every single day that I get up and I can walk and I can talk and I got people around me I love and they love me and I got food and I got water. Ain't nothing give me a bad day. Nothing. Uh, that, that is... That is great advice, wise counsel, myself being a father of two young kids, trying to find that balance, looking back and the things you wish your family, your parents had done different. As you know, I went into foster care. Um, and yep. the, the way that in life it carries with you, and you still have a choice what you will do with it. And you found a way to take a moment that you could have been beyond angry. You could have allowed it to destroy you. But instead, you used it as your fuel. So talking now to to the entrepreneurs out there, what happens in business? I mean, there's lots of highs and lots of lows. Maury, how did you do it? How did you rise above? Well, I think, you know, first of all, you know, I, I just, I set a goal. My goal at the time was I, I am not going home. I'm getting through this. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm for the first time in my life, I'm living away from home. I'm loving it. And I'm going to do it no matter what. Failing wasn't an option. I mean, I failed every single day by making a mistake here or, or making a stupid decision here or whatever it is. But the ultimate goal that I had to hit, there was no option. I had to do it. But the other part of it, too, and, you know, I'll tell a quick anecdote. From the time I was 17 when my father lost his money until the time, believe it or not, you know, after all these businesses I was in, and, you know, I was in the e-commerce world and huge corporate for 10 years and so on. I was always afraid of getting back to where I was. I was afraid of being poor again. And so there was an incredible motivation to make money. Now, looking back, I was somewhat happy. You know, I enjoyed the businesses that I was in. I really only ever had a job I hated for about a week and I left. But I didn't love the businesses, you know, and I was doing okay. I was enjoying them. I was having fun. I was learning. I was diving in, you know, plunging into relationships and learning all the businesses that I was in from beginning to end. But what I realized after inventing that little Hanukkah tree topper, which was the first business since then that I did just for the love of it, just for the passion, just for the, the goodwill and helping. That business ended up propelling me into a success that I never could have imagined. And since then, I don't work on anything I don't love. And so that's probably one of the most important things that I learned was there's no better success than doing what you love. And you can, you can be making a ton of money and be miserable. You can be making a little bit, but if it's enough and you love it, well, you're more successful than anybody else who has a Rolls Royce. Wow. And I look at that story and the one that you've just told us and say, Maury, that's exactly why you had to come on the show to tell others around the world that no matter what they've been through, that life's tough, you can be tougher. And now looking at your journey, where you are today, uh, where are you going from here? Yeah. So, you know, to that point, you know, I, I say to a lot of people and I do a lot of, you know, I'll do speaking engagements and things like that and counseling and coaching. You know, the theme that I always go with, and you, I know you know this, better than anybody else out there is, you know, you're going to go through some of the toughest times, you know, and in that moment, you know, that in that moment of hell, whether it's personal, professional, spiritual, whatever it might be, in that moment of hell, if you can just keep that little, that little garage 1% open, 
that this is going to be something that you learn from, and that adversity is going to be something that improves who you are as a person or a professional, because every single fall that I took got me tougher, you know, and, and more, more disciplined and, and wiser. And so, you know, I look at what happened. I mean, you know, here I go, I'm, I'm, I'm on a show called Shark Tank in, in 2013, you know, and at the time I was working a full-time job. So I was doing this, I was, you know, basically hustling nights and weekends, you know, I put a, created a product that I had no clue how to make. I had to figure out how to make something like that in China. I had no clue. I, I had no money. So I had to get, you know, partners and sweat equity people to help me out. But ultimately I did it and it was, it was pretty successful. Well, I go on the show and you know what? I, I made a decision right then and there. I didn't care so much about getting funding for a tree topper. My goal was I looked at those five individuals in front of me on those leather chairs and I said, somehow, some way, if I'm one of the hundred people, because only a hundred people make it to TV every year out of 60,000 that try wow. out. Wow. That's a lottery ticket. That, that is, that is a, a lightning bolt where you get one, one of these in your life. Right. And listen, you know, you're, you're getting national TV exposure to 5 million people. You're getting reruns. I still get reruns on CNBC six years later. People How call cool me up is, all the time. How cool say, is hey, that? I just saw your, you know, but I knew that I had a responsibility that if I was one of those lucky people to actually air, that I was going to do something bigger. You know, I didn't want to just get funding for this. I wanted to somehow elevate myself, my career, maybe even work with one of those people. And that's exactly what happened, Dustin. That's what you did. I'm the only guy in 10 years of Shark Tank history to ever be on both sides of that carpet. And now when the new episodes film, you know, I'm backstage, in many cases, you know, consulting Damon on what I think. And then once he makes a, a deal with these companies, I'm the one that goes out and finds the partnership. I'm the one that goes out and works on other people's dreams. What a fucking amazing journey that is. It's kind of it's kind of crazy, by the way. I'm glad you threw it out there because I'm not allowed to curse. My, my producer's looking at me. I got to tell you, that's pretty cool. Like, imagine like what you've done. No one can ever take this back from you, that you achieved it, that your hard work, you had a collective to help you along your way, and you know that, but that everything in your life happened as it was supposed to, to one day you be on the biggest show, in my opinion, biggest show on TV one that everyone's heard of with some of the most creative personalities. And by the way, Mr. Wonderful, is he pretty awesome when the cameras aren't on him? Like, what's he really he's like? A, he's a pussycat. He's a pussycat. I mean, he's, you know what? I'll be honest. That, the, the, the fights you see on that show are real. You know, of course it's TV. But this, these, are, these are economists. These are venture capitalists and angel investors who take these investments very seriously. And sure, and, and Kevin, you know, God bless him. The man tells it like it is. But, you know, everybody offset. I mean, we're all friends. We all hang out together. You know, this has been such an amazing journey, not only for the people who are learning, because this is what I think has taken business education into a stratosphere that nothing had before. You know, entrepreneurship before Shark Tank was kind of this word, like you didn't really know what it was. It's like, what does that mean? Do you yeah. mean you're unemployed? Yeah. Or do you mean you're like, you know, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons and like mean and nasty? But now all of a sudden, you know, you've got, you've got an education. Entrepreneurship is cool. You know, you, 20 years ago, think about this. 20 years ago, you put athletes on shoes. Ten years ago, you put hip-hop artists. Now you got a guy like Gary Vaynerchuk putting his name on a K-Swiss shoe and selling 5,000 of them in three minutes. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. 
the story about where what you can do when you are focused on a end goal. And so what has always been your end goal? Like it's what is the next for you? What what is the purpose of all this? Where are you going? That's a great question. Um, you know, I've, I've learned, I've had a lot of, like, you know, obviously personal and professional adversity. And I've learned one thing that, that I, I really try to focus on the moment. You know, you can plan for tomorrow all day long, but, you know, something can happen later on this afternoon, which completely negates that. You know, yesterday's finished. There's nothing I can do about yesterday. So, you know, I, most importantly, I want to love what I'm doing, Dustin, and I do. I have, you know, I'm busier than I've ever been. I get to work with some of the coolest people because I'm not only doing Shark Tank stuff. I'm working with all of Damon's, you know, celebrity clients, his entire portfolio, meeting all kinds of amazing people, as you know, you know, look at, look at you know, where we were when we met each other. That's right. You know, this is every single day. So, you know, I think what I, I mean, I know what I would like to do more of, and that is to give back. You know, I would love to do more speaking, more coaching. I'm, I do have a book in the works called From the Treetop that's hopefully coming out soon. Fantastic. So, you know, I just want to, you know, I really want to go out there and, and, you know, here's my mission. My mission is to, and this is Damon's mission, and it's, you know, the people I surround myself with. It's make the place you're standing in right this second and the people that you're around, try to make them better and the things better than they were before you got there. That's it. And have fun. And the rest falls into place, man. You know, it's like I, if I, I'm not I, enjoying it, if I'm not loving it, then, then, then I'm not getting, you know, I, you know, there's people who complain about their, their jobs. And I say, well, why do, you, why do you do it if you hate it so much? They say, well, I got a big house. I got a big payment. I'm like, man, get a smaller house. Yeah, down, downsize. Get your life back to a place where you were able to do the thing you were meant for. And, and that kind of what tells me um, that uh, our, our mutual friend whose home we were at, uh, he has yep. put his house up uh, in an auction to raise money for foster care, foster care awareness. Uh, that'll be a, an upcoming event. Also, uh, June of next year, you obviously are on the list. Uh, we're going to be doing an event there at his house again in June 2020. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be raising money and raising awareness uh, around the world for foster care kids. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, That was a big initiative of mine, you know, at the beginning of 2018, actually, where I said, listen, I, I've had all these blessings. You know, I've had just this incredible fortune of just, you know, I mean, I've worked my butt off. Nothing came to me, you know, but, but listen, you know, I made, uh, you know, I, I believe luck is being at the right place at the right time, but that's not enough. You got to open your mouth too, you know, and, and luckily, you know, I've been put in these great situations, but then I've actually, you know, opened my mouth and, and been the squeaky wheel. But I decided in 2018 that I wanted to do more you know, I wanted I wanted more of a footprint of, of giving back myself, and I'm not talking about putting some charity in a box. I'm talking about actually getting my hands dirty. And so I joined two boards here locally, where I am in San Diego. One's this incredible organization called Reality Changers, which helps kids from City Heights, which has a a college rate of about three percent. And uh, you know, these are kids who have you know 0.0 grade point averages, you know, in eighth grade, who you know, through all of this kind of safe environment and tutoring and mentoring and whatnot end up getting full rides to like Ivy League universities. You know, I'm, I'm a board member of the San Diego theaters, which, you know, I've always theater has been something that has been so important to me my whole life. You know, it really got me, I think the best sales training anybody could have ever hoped for. And, 
you know, I've seen what it's done for my kids, and so I'm a board member of the, the two largest uh, theater venues here That's in incredible. San Diego, and also I, I volunteer for this huge, amazing pet organization called Helen Woodward, so, you know, and doing animal welfare. So, you, I, you know. You, you do everything you can. Well, Casa de, Am, Casa de Amparo, uh, it is there in San Diego and San Bernardino. That was my orphanage uh, as a kid. We would be honored yep. to find a way to get the theater side uh, involved uh, at the home. I'm on uh, their advisory board as well. Uh, but your heart is as the, like the first time I met you. Like it was just an open book that said, "I want everybody to live to live a life that's what they're proud of and that they they enjoy and they want to get up every day." And you truly shine. I'm honored. And the last question we always have for our guests, and now you're, as my brother, uh, is who's the toughest person you've ever known, both either personally, I mean professionally. Oof. Who would it be? The toughest person I have ever known. Wow. Huh. You know, I, I, I know it may sound cliche, but I look at my dad. This is a guy who had to, who literally had his home burned down in front of him while his elder father came down the stairs and, like, you know, collapsed. You know, because when Israel was declared a state, you know, his the the Arab population who before this were like brothers, you know, decided to wage war and, you know, burned this, you know, my father's house down to the ground. And then he had to smuggle out of his family and live in six different countries and learn seven languages and actually got put in jail, worked as an interpreter for the army in, in World War Two and you know, to see what he was able to do with his life with, I think he had a seventh grade education Incredible. and always had a smile on his face and always gave back. You know, that's, that's when it comes to being made out of nails, man, this is a guy who, uh, who I admired and, you know, I could only aspire to be and a couple was, of uh, and what percentage was, points like. What, what was it? What was his name? Joseph. Everybody called him Joe. Everyone called him Joe. All right. Well, we always end it with probably, in my opinion, the most powerful send off. And that's life's tough. But Joe Shoeiki was tougher. Thank you so much for joining us Thank today, Maury. Appreciate that so much. So that wraps up our show for today. Thanks again to Maury Shoeiki for making this another outstanding episode of our Life's Tough podcast. And thanks to you, our amazing audience, for making the Life's Tough podcast one of the most relevant engaging, and fastest-growing shows around. And a special thanks to my dear friend, Gerald Levin, Life's Tough chief writer and my Sherpa, and to our executive producer and my dear friend, John Miller, of the Alston Carlisle Studio here in Baltimore, Maryland. You already know life is tough, and running your own business is tougher. You need a financial planner who's tougher. Carl Grund is a financial planner who helps small business owners navigate the market and grow their business through financial strategies. Give Carl a call at 703-287-7128. That's 703-287-7128. Or send an email to cgrund at sfpfinancial.com. That's cgrund at sfpfinancial.com to learn how Carl can help you get tough on business. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. The stories we all hear are as varied as the people who tell them. 
it's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience. Instead, I ask you to use your story to empower others. Your story may be just what it takes to help somebody in your circle or perhaps in our community to get through a tipping point moment, an instance in which that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or the person finds the strength to transcend a particular situation. Please subscribe to our show. Visit lifestuff.com and be sure to join us every week for a new stimulating hour of heartfelt discussion. Tell your friends about us too. Remember, everyone has a story and every story has a purpose. Life's tough, but Joe Shoeiki was tougher. Thanks for listening and being a part of our community. Now, for the entire Life's Tough team, this is Dustin Plano signing off. Have a great week, everybody.